Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Office Hours. My name is Mike Mamola. Uh, we don't have Dave Meltzer yet. He may join us. I think he is currently traveling throughout Europe and changing the world, making over a billion people happy. But we are here with Donald Thompson. Hi, Donald. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Nice to speak to you. So I am excited to talk to you about the diversity movement and your new book, which is entitled Underestimated, A CEO's Unlikely Path to Success. So I think so, so many of the people in our audience don't understand how unlikely that path is to success. I, I tell people it's, it's more like uh, ping pong than it is bowling. Uh, so I would love to hear your take on it and, and what the book is going to enlighten so many of our listeners, listeners on. Yeah, thanks for sharing. So anyone that succeeded at any level, right, understands that it is not a straight line, right? To be brief and succinct, right, is how do you overcome the obstacles you face? We all have different challenges to meet our goals and our dreams. It's whether or not that transitionary phase, when you think you're going to be an entrepreneur, but you start out as a pantry clerk, in my case, a security guard, a manager at Dollar General, but then you end up running software companies, exiting them, running them again, exiting them, running a marketing company, and some different things I've done. The key word is resilience. The key phrase is win with the hand that you're dealt. And that's what the book is going to be about, right? How to win with the hand that you're dealt. That's fantastic. So so what you said really touched me in in a very profound way because I remember like whether you were a security guard or whatever you were doing, I imagine that there was this flame, this entrepreneurial flame that was burning. And I remember when I used to deliver auto parts, or I used to deliver pizzas all of the time going back, I would be delivering pizza, but I would be imagining the day when I was CEO of a company or I was an angel investor of a company and then became COO and and did these things. There was always this this drive to do more. So I, I wonder, was that something that you had early on or did it happen at some point? How did all of that happen? How did we get here today? Yeah, Thank you so much for asking that. The drive was always there from selling Jolly Ranchers in elementary school uh, and bringing them in school by, by the pound and getting suspended because I was having a mini uh, conglomerate, right? <laughs> but as a security guard, one of the things when working in high rise buildings, I always looked at the books that were on the desks of the executives. And I could read those books no matter what station I was in life. I always looked at what I could learn from whatever situation, even if it was pure disdain for where I was to motivate me to move to the next level. There was something that I could use to fuel that next step. I, I want to touch on that for a second because I think that's powerful, even if it's pure disdain. So at some point you're doing something that you dislike so much that it motivates you perhaps to do something else. I, and I think I remember when, when I was in high school, um, I went to Votech and I took a job at a tool and die shop. It wasn't even a job. I actually, it was a, a Votech opportunity that I did. And I went to this tool and die, like a machinist's shop. And they, they sat me down in a chair and they said, your job is, gonna, is going to be to take this metal widget out of this bucket, put it here, push these two buttons. The drill bit is going to come down. It's going to drill a hole right here. You're going to take it out and you're going to put it here. This is way before machine learning and everything else. Yeah, sure. And then you're going to do that a thousand more times and then you're going to go home. And I did that for one day and I left. And, and there was such disdain for that, that I knew instantly I never wanted to do that again. So how did that disdain affect the course of your life? It allowed me to make and, and understand what better choices meant. The one thing that I did well in my career walk is I didn't blame someone else for the circumstance I was in, even though they were barriers. I'm a black executive. Even though we we're barriers, I don't have a college degree. What can I do about the things that limit me so that they become strengths? And so when I decided that a college degree, this is 30 years ago, that was a bad thing. Right. There are people that are just ripping up your resume in, in your face without a college degree years ago. It's a little cooler now. It's a little better now. All good. But I had to decide what careers that didn't matter. That's how I got into sales, because people needed somebody to dial for dollars, take the no and win regardless. I could do that. So because I had a limitation, I had to figure out how to win in spite of. Mm -hmm. And that's something that that energy was put in a positive place 
verse in that negative place that allowed me to succumb to the woe me uh, that was an easy option. And so I just decided not to take that easy option. Fantastic. So how important of all of the skills that we could possess and, and, you know, one of the books that we talk about sometimes between Dave and myself is, is a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, oh, which is Robert Kiyos- right? An amazing book, Robert Kiyosaki and co-author Sharon Lecter. And Sharon's a great friend of David's and ours. And, and we talked to her about that. And so one of the things they focus on in there is, is, you know, of all the skills we can have, the ability to sell is one of the most indicative ways of, of, producing success. How important is it, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're a shoe salesman or a lawyer or a plumber, how important is the ability to sell and how do we tap into that? One of the things people have a misconception of selling, they think of a used car lot and selling lemon cars and taking advantage of people, right? When you think about sales properly, it's about the connection between something of value and someone's need. And if you can learn to do that, then you can do that in different arenas. I've done that in marketing. I've done that in technology. And now I'm doing that in the diversity, equity, inclusion space. But because I have the ability to connect with business leaders, executives, and create a value proposition to where what I'm saying makes sense and they can action on it, right? What makes sense, they can action on it. Now, all of a sudden, we're moving diversity, equity, inclusion and linking it to how to grow a better, more impactful business. That's selling versus you should use my widget, you should use my consulting, you should buy this car because my car is better than XYZ's car. Nobody really cares about that anymore. They want to know what business value they get from meeting with you, from working with you, from buying what you're selling. Yeah. So when when you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, as they say, some of our listeners, I think, have heard it. They may not be uh, very familiar with exactly what that means and how important it is to businesses. So tell me what you're talking about and, and how that applies to everything that you're doing. All right. Let's use a sports analogy, right? Patrick Mahomes. I've heard years, of him. Yeah, you, I, I'm sure you have, right? right? Uh, Russell Wilson. So years ago in the NFL, a black quarterback was an anomaly. It wasn't something that was a regular occurrence. By expanding the pool of talent for the position of quarterback, the cream can rise to the top and the best people for the position can help people win. And what is the NFL if nothing more than a production-based business? If I'm talking to a VP of sales and I ask them very clearly, do you care if someone's black, white, gay, straight, from the South, educated or not, if they can sell $5 million of technology? VP of sales said, I don't care where they're from, what they look like. If they can meet that number and help me get to President's Club, I want to hire them. That means you have to expand your pool of applicants to find someone like me. So in technology that has held a million dollar quota. But if you only recruit from the same schools, you only recruit from folks that are in your golf foursome, then you're missing out at a competitive opportunity to win in the next economy. So what I do with CEOs and leaders is I talk about the win link it to the action. And now we're not using terms like diversity, equity, inclusion. We're using terms like better workplace and winning against your competition. And most executives are wired to the win. And that's what we need to do is link diversity, equity, inclusion with how we can help business leaders win and create a better workplace for the people they care about in their employee. Yeah, absolutely agree. And, and uh, fortunately, we're, we're heading in that direction and so much of What's happening today reflects that. What do we or what can we do to help each other recognize the importance of that? How can we get each other to, to think about things the way that you're thinking about them? Because it's so important. A couple of things. Number one, thank you for having me on the show because you're lending space to creating a conversation. Number two, everyone's not going to be at the same space or place in a dialogue. So we got to give room for people to not understand initially. And we're not trying to change people, but expand your thinking. Let me give you a quick example. Someone might not understand diversity, equity, inclusion, but if they have daughters, they understand that they want their daughters to make the same wage for the same work. That's diversity, equity, inclusion. If we don't understand diversity, equity, inclusion, then somebody that's 50 plus doesn't want to be pigeonholed that they can't learn new things because they've aged out of creativity. We have to link DEI to the simple constructs to where it can have a meaningful conversation. And then we can get into details a little bit later. That's one of the things I think people do wrong. They throw acronyms at each other. They throw change at each other. 
without finding that place where we can agree and then build from that point of agreement. And that's what we do a little bit different. <clears throat> In addition to, oh, thank you for that, all of the incredible things that you're doing. One of the things is you've been a three-time Inc. 5000 CEO, and in 2021, you were named Forbes Next 1000, Upstart Entrepreneurs Redefining the American Dream. Tell me about that. One of the things that we did during the pandemic is we launched a new business, the diversity movement. And and put aside what the business is, we launched a new business in the pandemic. And what we wanted to do was build a productized version of DEI, for example, we have a Netflix for DEI where we have 500 plus two to three minute vignettes where people can learn a little bit at a time. Being recognized by Forbes is an honor to me, but I'll be very direct. I have a phenomenal team that makes me look awesome. That's yeah. fantastic. So, so launching a business in the, the midst of the pandemic, was that intentional? Was that a result of something? How did, how did that come about? One of the things that I understand having launched a handful of businesses over the years is there's no good time to start. (laughs) And quite frankly, when the times are tougher, it actually fortifies whether or not you're a true believer in what you're doing or not. Yeah. And so what we decided is if we could sell and grow during one of the most challenging economic times in our history, then man, what can we do when the world settles a little bit? Mm. Let's go ahead and get started. Mm. Powerful. So you've still taken that 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 kid who was selling Jolly Ranchers back then and you haven't changed it. Right. So I think like we and we talk to a lot of successful people. Sure. The, the most successful are those that have tapped into who they are, like that authentic part of like, who am I? Right. Rather than I want to be like him or I want to be like her. Who am I? And then how can I use that to, to share something with the world? What part of yourself did you identify and say, I, I have this quality? Like, I'm, I'm able to give myself a little pat on the back. Let me go share it with the world. What is that one thing that gave you that inspiration to say, I can do this? Oh, man, thank you for that question. I'm the son of a football coach. And so I moved around a lot. Yeah. And I have the ability to make friends in different situations quickly. Because I'm always looking for a way that we can hang together and do something we both enjoy. And that skill set that was developed out of the fact that I moved around a lot. And you know this in sports, right? People taking you out to dinner, loving you. If you lose, right, you're getting fired, you're getting cut. It's, it's, it's a production-based environment. But that superpower, if you will, is to find that point of connection with people and say, let's do this together because we both enjoy it. Let's hang out. And, Man, and that, what, that to me is a superpower. I, I love that. I'm going to use that. That is a superpower. And what you're talking about is something that that resonates with me, which I talk about a lot, which is emotional intelligence, right? EQ. So I was the guy who I wasn't academically, I wasn't at the top of the class. And, and I remember thinking like, holy cow, how am I going to succeed in life? Like I'm, I'm, they are way smarter than I am. And then I read a book called uh, Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman in 1989. And it was this idea of EQ. And and what he said in there to sum up the entire book was 99% of your success or failure in life depends on your ability to interact with others. And I was like, got it. So when you say to me, I know how to make friends, that's it. Like people want to do business with people they like, like it's like likability and then competence is down here. You don't really have to be as competent as you think you do, because if somebody likes you, they're willing to take a shot, Right. So how has that benefited you? Because I love what you just said. One, I appreciate it. So I'm going to give you a compliment, and then I'm going to answer your question. In our brief dialogue, you've mentioned two books, which means me and you are similar in that we're competitive learners, right? Just in talking, right, I already have the vibe that you're confident, you're established, you're successful, but we're always looking for that next competitive learning edge, right? So that makes us kindred spirits. The second thing in terms of really understanding and and to answer your question very, very simply is this. You don't know the impact you can make if you lean on the knowledge, courage, and expertise of others. Hmm. Most people are thinking about what they can do and grow on their own. And so as I was coming up in school, it's almost like this. If a bully was waiting for me in an alley, right, I grew up and spent some time in Pittsburgh, I had a better chance if I was walking with friends. Uh, Like... Right. What do you do? What do you do to beat up a bully? Well, you don't if you don't know how to fight good. But if there's five or six of you, 
right? Your odds are better. And so I take that same thought process to solving business problems. If I just use my mental capacity, okay, I'm kind of smart. If I talk to four or five people that are experts in a space, I got smarter faster. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. I am super excited. You're right. We are aligned. I can't wait to get to know you more. I look forward to reading the book. Uh, Just so that our audience is clear, uh, people can find you at Donald Thompson dot com the diversity movement dot com anywhere else or any other fleeting thoughts you'd like to leave them with no the only thing i would say is hit me up on linkedin if you reach out i'll reach back Uh, i'm always available for quick 15 minute conversations with business leaders and the clock is not running when we do that fantastic we're going to get you back on because so much of what you said is so important we want to have you back on when dave is here and i look forward to speaking to you more and i will be in touch donald thank you so much and congrats good luck with the book Thanks for having me. And this was great fun. Thank you so much. Likewise. Take care. All right. So there we go. Kicking it off. Uh, Donald is doing some amazing things. You heard what he had to say that, I mean, the the idea is that there is always a way to grow, always a way to learn, read, uh, introduce yourself to people. It's amazing the way we start to scale ourselves. So we're going to check in with our next guest in just a minute. And, And there he is. Abbas Hadar from Aspetto. I don't know if I'm, yes. uh, am I pronouncing that correctly? Aspetto, you got it pretty close, but uh, it's Hyder. <laughs> Hyder and Aspetto.com, Hyder? Aspetto.com, yes, sir. How are you? All right. good, good morning. Uh, nice to meet you. And likewise. Tell us, tell us about Aspetto. Um, well, the official line is that we provide innovative solutions um, to the government, military, and uh, the intelligence community protecting their interests. Um, human assets and infrastructure, but there are a lot of cool things that we're doing. So I'm sure we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, yes, we will. So, you know, obviously a lot of our audience is very interested in technology. And I think so much of what you're talking about is not only technology, but cybersecurity. What, what things do you have that you think our audience should be aware of in terms of what's happening right now with technology and cybersecurity as it might apply to their business? Absolutely. So, um, cybersecurity is one p- uh, part of our business. The idea for Aspetto is to cover the entire life cycle of a service member. So we're the guys that created America's first bullet-resistant clothing line. So suits that look like normal suits, but you can shoot at them. Uh, it'll stop bomb frags, um, you know, all of that. Um, so that's how uh, we started the company. Uh, freshman year, I started the company uh, as a regular clothing line. Senior year is when I introduced America's first bullet-resistant clothing line. Got into tactical gear, uh, you know, things, uh, your tactical gear that CBP wears or your DOD wears. So we're, we're handling all of that. In fact, we're probably one of the top five DOD suppliers for body armor at this point. Um, there's, uh, we do logistics. We also uh, own a very successful digital media company with over, with close to a million followers that are all DOD, FedCiv, law enforcement, veteran community, a very successful podcast, a very successful online newspaper. Uh, then we have a Speto Labs division where we uh, develop, uh, we have in-house engineers, 3D printers, and all the technology where they're constantly developing uh, cool technology that's, you know, machine learning, AI, and actually taking the product from concept to the full production and putting it out in the market. And within Aspetto Labs, we also have uh, a, a more of an incubator accelerator style business model where we invest in startups. Uh, because one of the hardest things for startups is going to the government and selling their products because you've got to have uh, contracts, contacts, contract vehicles, uh, and all the past performances. Well, Spedo pretty much has sold to every agency in the country. Doesn't matter if it's Department of Agriculture, Department of Energy, or the DOD, Secret Service, anybody, right? So um, we invest in their companies and take their products to to the government. And then we also uh, have recently gotten into missile defense, nuclear C three, cybersecurity systems, engineering that side. Incredible. So when you talk about the DOD, that's the Department of Defense and obviously all of those organizations that are affiliated, related to them. Uh, And it it is a very um, selective and uh, unique relationship that I think people have that are able to work in that space. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think through the GSA and others, is that something that you're doing? Uh, Not, what, what is the GSA and how does that work? How does that participate in, in Espeto and, and what you're doing? Um, GSA is basically um, one, one of the parts of GSA is, you know, there's a GSA, it's called a contract vehicle, right? Government pre-vets uh, these, uh, these companies, uh, it, it, it took us almost like a year and a half to get, uh, to get a GSA contract. But what that does is it basically, uh, the government gives a green light to all the agencies and customers that, Hey, this company is already vetted. You can purchase from them. Um, so just like GSA, uh, contract vehicles, we have Oasis, we have Seaport next gen, we have eight stars, all that. So it's, uh, GSA is just one of those contract vehicles got it so i know that you uh among everything else are a tedx speaker and uh, <laughs> yes. the topic was uh, bulletproof mindset if i'm not mistaken yes and uh that is super interesting to me so what is a bulletproof mindset and how do we develop that uh so bulletproof mindset is uh, we always because we're in the bulletproof business because in the in in real life there's no such thing as bulletproof right it's all bullet resistant. So if someone t- is selling you online bulletproof vests, just know how, just, just check and see how legit they are, right? <laughs> because there's no such thing. There will always be something that'll be able to penetrate it. Um, you know, uh, there's like a certain velocity, even if an armor vest says that, you know, it'll stop a nine millimeter, what at, at a certain velocity, there's a 50% chance that it's going to go through. And they've already figured out those velocities. So no such thing as bulletproof. It's always bullet resistant. But bulletproof mindset is something that you have to start off going back to armor, right? The way armor is made, you've got layers and layers of aramid materials. They're uh, basically put on top of each other. And then they're sewn in a pattern where when the bullet hits, um, it, it dissipates the force and you know, we have to control the back face deformation and everything. So when the bullet is coming, it's not stopping on impact. It's actually spinning and it gets caught up in threads. So having a bulletproof mindset, you got to have layers and layers of certain habits, certain experiences, right? For example, like setting um, uh, those short-term goals that are achievable, um, you know, having a positive mindset, the experiences that you have faced in life um, just you know, facing rejection, you know, and, and just dealing with it. Because any entrepreneur will tell you that the moment you come up with a good idea, everyone's out, to, everyone's going to say it can't be done, right? Um, I, I've been I've been hearing it all my life. I, you know, senior year of high school, I had an import-export business. Um, I could barely grow, you know, facial hair freshman year of college when I was out selling suits in New York. And one of the guys was like, your product is good. Um, your price is good, but next time you shave, flip the razor upside down. So that's what I started doing, and now it's coming in nicely. <laughs> Looks great. <laughs> so uh, you just have to deal with the deal with the rejections and 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 get in the habit of success. You know, it doesn't have to be oh, I'm going to hit you know a hundred million dollars revenue. It can start off with I'm going to wake up and uh, I'm going to make my bed today, or I'm going to go to the gym. One of the hardest things to do is to get up and go to the gym. <laughs> Yeah, you just said something that that I think is great. You said the habit of success. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me when I'm when I'm speaking to people, people that I work with or coach or whatever. And I say you only need three things to be successful in any business. It's preparation, preparation, preparation. And so I think that that's what you're talking about. So what are those habits of success? What are those things that you do? Is it a morning routine? I know a lot of the people that I talk to have a morning routine to get things started, to have a a proactive approach to the day rather than a reactive. What are those habits of success that you utilize that make you as successful as you are? You know, one of the things that people don't talk about is doesn't matter who you are. We all need someone we need to talk to. Right. And the last couple of years, um, what really helped me was finding an executive coach and, you know, just like, so I talked to my coach three times a week, um, at wow. six, yeah, Tuesdays are six 30 in the morning. Thursdays are eight 30 in the morning. Saturdays are eight 30 in the morning. Do you and look forward to it or do you dread it? No, I actually look forward to it because my executive coach is really cool. Um, I mean, like, it's more of a friend, but like she'll call me on my bullshit, you know, all that. So it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, I, I look forward to it. Uh, so it's, um, 
because as a CEO ex- uh, or anybody in an executive, that accountability is so important. Yeah. And that's the part that helps me because without Christina, it's like, I can go do whatever I want. Sure. I'm answerable to customers and employees, but it's like someone who says a boss do this. Um, or have you thought about it this way? I think that's very important. So, um, I think that's, so that's actually part of my habit now. Um, I, I listen to Bloomberg every, every morning. Um, I think it's also so important to read. Um, and, uh, so I'm always like, there, there's a book I'm reading, Get to AHA, um, which was recommended by um, one of the guys on our board of advisors, Steve Cakebread. He wrote the book, The IPO Playbook. Um, and Steve took three companies public, uh, uh, Salesforce, Pandora, and Yex. And he's on our board now because we're gearing up to go IPO at the end of next year, uh, 2024. So it's, you're always reading, I think, podcasts are great, business wars. Uh, going to the gym is very important. Uh, I, get, I get super down if, I'm, if, if I haven't gone to the gym in like two to three days because uh, those endorphins and every, everything that everyone talks about is super important. So it's, uh, it's those kind of things. Yeah, I, I think. And, and congrats on, on uh, pre-IPO and going uh, public soon. Well, we're trying. We're getting there. <laughs> congrats on that. How important is it as you start to scale your business? And, and I've, you know, I, I'm involved in a lot of startups and early stage companies. And I talk to the CEOs and founders, like the, the back of the napkin people all the way up to the, where you're at to know your place. Because, you know, I say to people, it's, it's one thing to, to have the idea and to, to build it to where we are. But if you've never taken a company public um, or been at that table to have those conversations, very often, you know, if, if you're not willing to kind of check your ego at the door, you could in a, like a, unintentionally kind of sabotage that. Right. So how important is it to know who you are, what your skills are and to be able to like you are leaning on other people around you so that they can run the, you know, run the baton to the end of the, uh, the race where you might not be yeah. able to. It, it is important to recognize if what your what kind of risk you're willing to take. It's important to recognize uh, what kind of a leader you are. Like you have to know your, know your weaknesses and strengths. Right? Like one of my weaknesses is I'm not organized. Um, so, but I recognize that. I mean, if you saw my desk right now, <laughs> you, yeah. you'll know this. <laughs> but one of my but I figured that out nice and early. So senior year of college, I brought, uh, who was my classmate, Robert Davis on board because I know he's super organized. So now he's the CEO of the company and he, like he has this weird, cool ability to always, I mean, it's not being negative, but he always will find out, okay, here's the liability that comes with it. This is what could go wrong. And I'm just like, Hey, let's go to space. <laughs> Let's let's go ahead and figure out a way to put a put a satellite in space. So knowing that what your weaknesses are, you you got to figure out how to fill the fill that gap. And then, like in our case, we knew that all right, we're started this company when I was 18 years old. I'm 32 years old, so is Rob. But now we needed someone more uh, more strategic, more experienced. So what I did was I I brought someone on board to be my chief strategy officer who was a, an executive over a CACI. He started another company after that, exited one they were doing over $100 million. So you got to understand those things. Yeah. But as far as like knowing your skills, I think put yourself in uncomfortable positions because like I didn't know anything about body armor when I got into it. I don't know anything about digital media. And now I'm learning how to get press passes at the Pentagon. I didn't know anything about logistics. Rob and I drove those big trucks, the 24 foot trucks. I remember we won a contract once to deliver ballistic cubicle walls. So these are office walls that will hand that will stop an AK round. Right. We had a DOD contract and one of the shipping companies screwed up. Well, what did we do? We got our own trucks. Each wall is 400 pounds and we delivered over 200 walls, driving it ourselves from here to Tennessee, picked them up and delivered them uh, in, in Pennsylvania. So like, Put yourself in uncomfortable situations and I think that you will grow. And I always tell people that personal growth is so much more important than professional growth. Absolutely agree. And uh, I'm going to take that lesson. You, you had so many nuggets. I want to go back and, and rewatch this, but uh, 
you know, nothing is bulletproof. Things are only bullet resistant. That, that one's going to stick with me for a long time. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much for coming on. People can find uh, you and what you're up to at Espeto, A-S-P-E-T-T-O.com. I think we'll put that down here in the chat. Anywhere else that they can find you? I love to travel. You want to catch me on Instagram? It's travel like a boss. Travel like A-B-B-A-S. Um, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, they won't let me change it on Instagram, okay? <laughs> that was a while ago. You are a, boss. you are a boss and it's been great speaking to you. I look forward Likewise. to following up. Thank you so much. Happy Friday. Yeah, yeah happy Friday to you too. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. What a boss. So, that was fantastic. We're here. I think Harry is uh, about to come on. So hello and good morning. Hi, Harry. Good morning. Harry, good morning. Nice to speak to you. Looking forward to speaking to you about the future you, your new book. Yeah, no. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. You're welcome. So what is the future you? I think so many, you know, all of our audience is, is thinking about, you know, What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next month? Where will I be next year? 10, 20, 30 years? What is the future you? And how do we talk about that in terms of technology, in terms of ourselves and how those uh, converge? Yeah. So if you think about it, like in most of our lives, like when you're driving a car, you have a dashboard, right? Uh, Most of the technology that we have, you know, beeps and boops and says, you know, fix me before I have a problem now, right? Because there's sensors in it. The Future You is, is uh, a book about how different technologies can help you be healthier, stay healthier, alert you to different problems. Like, why do you want to find out that one moment when you walk into the physician's office that one time of the year and he says, ah, we got to get you on medication. If you sort of knew ahead of time and so could sort of make small course corrections along the way, wouldn't you love to avoid that rather than having to be medicated or, you know, having to do something drastic. And so the book covers a lot of different technologies that will, you know, highlight different things to people saying, look, you know, if this is a problem, you might want to consider this. If that's, you know, uh, something you're concerned about, you might want to consider this. And it's just simple ways to incorporate technology into your life that might make a difference. Um, But I go all the way from simple technologies to talking about uh, cancer, gene editing, you know, what happened during the pandemic and, and much more. So much of what you're saying resonates. I was just, uh, we had an event, uh, not last night, the night before here in New York City. Uh, I'm in New Jersey, but just across the river for our Prostate Cancer Awareness Foundation, Man Cave Health. And I sit on the board of Man Cave Health. And uh, it was created, you know, the founder was a ultra su- successful a friend of mine who exited his company for a, a lot of money and uh, six months later went in for his, his regular checkup and the PSA test re- revealed that his prostate levels were, were elevated and he caught it in time. And so I've learned a lot over the last few years about this. And I said, like, wow, like we have this medical technology, like preventative care is the key. Early detection is the key. We have the opportunities for this. It's not just like when, so I'll give you an example, the one that I'm familiar with talking about prostate cancer, you know, men used to go and it's a, go to the doctor and you get the, the physical digital prostate screening, but that actually the way that they're able to detect it is eight to 12 months later than what your blood test might otherwise reveal. So that's exactly what I think you're talking about. What kinds of things can we do? Can our listeners do? Is it the the annual physical? Is it the blood test? What things can we do to make sure that we're taking a proactive rather than a reactive approach to our health? So, you know, stepping back one step further. So like for me, things like sleep are super important, right? You know, and I know that if you don't sleep well, your body doesn't repair itself. I don't function well, et cetera. So, So I will tend to use, you know, like, you know, something like either the Apple Watch or the Whoop to help me figure out what is going to disturb my sleep. And I know now, right? Like if I have that drink at 10 o'clock, my deep sleep goes, it just plummets. It's not a good thing. So if I'm doing it, I know I do it knowingly as opposed to waking up in the morning and going, you know, wondering what happened. So there are small changes like that that make a difference when it comes to things like your, the prostate cancer uh, that you were talking about. So just in December of last year, we got the first 
artificial intelligence, prostate cancer uh, system approved for pathology. So wow. if you were going into a hospital, you'd probably want them to be using a technology like that when they're looking at your prostate cancer uh, slides because the machine plus the doctor got it to like a 93% you know, uh, probability of being right as opposed to the doctor by themselves, which was in the 80s or the machine by itself, which was in the 80s. So technologies like that are making a huge difference in where we're going. And I'm not sure if you heard um, President Biden give uh, his talk earlier this week in Boston. He announced that the United States was going to back a national clinical trial for a blood test that would be able to detect cancers very early just from your blood. And I'm, I'm talking like, I think it was like, you know, 30, 40, 50 different cancers that it would probably be able to detect. Um, but you can imagine at some point, and I wrote a paper about this maybe seven or eight years ago, that you'll just be able to go give blood, they'll screen it, and you'll be able to see what's happening before a tumor actually forms. And at some point, we'll be able to go in and like get in the way of that and stop it from happening. Mm. Incredible. So how do we, so, so that's incredible once we get there, but how do we get people there? And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. So, you know, the tagline for, <clears throat> for the foundation that I'm talking about that we're a part of the, the prostate cancer awareness foundation is that, you know, men take better care of their cars than they do their bodies. And that's a big problem, right? Women are great. Get, they get the mammograms, they go to the OBGYN. They're very proactive on their health. But men are like thick-headed. There's a problem. So you have this technology that you're talking about that's available either now or in, in the near future. How do we get guys to go there? Because I think that's the key, right? So, yeah, I mean, the way, I mean, for me, for example, right, it's just the, the stuff is sort of on me and I'm, you know, I have it in, I have it on my desk. I mean, I can't sort of avoid it. Like this is a, an ECG I have on my desk. My, you know, my, what, what is that? Uh, so it's a electrocardiogram. Yep. So, you know, those, the wires that everybody puts on you when you go in and they, yep. all the squiggly lines, right? So this is much simpler. I don't have to worry about sticking everything all over my body. So I just put my two fingers on the little electrodes here and it'll do a six parameter view of my heart that is FDA approved. This is like 80 bucks. It sits on my desk. Now, why do I have one? You know, my father and, and uh, a couple of his brothers died of heart attacks. So, you know, every month or so, like I'll just take a scan and make sure everything is, you know, looks cool. Right. And there's an AI system that's sitting in the background there that if I want, will also look at the trace and then I can send it to my doctor. Um, I have a blood pressure cuff, you know, sitting on my desk that, you know, I'll take my blood pressure. Right. Again, because my family has History. that sort of cardiac thing. So I'm, I'm a little bit more aware of that. And then, of course, exercise and diet. Right. Be, between these things. If you're, let's say you're, you have diabetes in your family, then I would say, you know, go and get a continuous glucose monitor, which is a patch you can put on your arm. And every time that you eat, you would take your, you know, your, your phone and scan it over your, your patch. And it will tell you what your glucose level is based on what you're eating. And you can sort of stay ahead of the disease rather than disease catching you off guard, you know, later. And these are simple things. These aren't like constantly on top of you, but, you, you know, just making you aware of what's going on. And for a lot of people, I'll say something like, just go get a wireless scale. That's the first place to start. You know, being overweight is the, you know, that causes all sorts of other problems that you wouldn't expect. So if you see the line going in the wrong direction, you know, you'll, you'll quickly start to course correct it. If you're on, if you're watching uh, the line going the going in the wrong direction. So there are simple things like that that you can do. Two more complicated things, like if you had some sort of cancer, I talk about in the book uh, about genomic sequencing and how you should be aware of this and ask for it. Um, and if the tumor is sequenced, in other words, we're looking at the personality of the tumor per se, then we can identify particular drugs that could be used against that tumor that would show better results than just the way that we have historically done it, which is 
I'll start with this one. If that doesn't work, I'll move to this one. If that doesn't work, and then I'll move to this one. It's more of like trying to pick the guided targeted missile that will do the most damage right from the get-go. Got it. So, so let's, <clears throat> let's save some lives today. Somebody in our audience, you know, with regard to whatever cancer it might be, what should people be doing, whether it's <clears throat> a prostate cancer screening, colonoscopies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What should people be doing and at what age? male, female, what should they be doing? So all the preventative stuff, I would say for sure, like, you know, make sure that you follow the guidelines and, and like for, you know, uh, colon cancer, you know, you definitely want to get it at 50. If you have it in the family, go get it at 40. My best friend died at 40 years old from colon cancer. Um, so you want to do it based on your family history, but also the guidelines. Second, if you happen to have cancer, um, God forbid, you know, I would say that you would really want to push the physician and the group that you're working with to do what's called genomic sequencing or to understand the personality of that tumor at a molecular level so that then you can sort of identify drugs that would have the biggest impact on that tumor. Now, it's not 100 percent. We're not 100 percent yet, but we are getting There are more and more over time where I can match up the sequence of the tumor with an available drug and bring them together. Got it. So that being said, you mentioned diet and exercise. Are there anything or things that you think are more helpful or less helpful in terms of diet and exercise based on all of the technology and the books you've written, et cetera? Um. You know, these technologies that are sensors will tell you when something is sort of moving out of line. Uh, Again, it's like your car that, you know, the little lights start flashing. Um, You know, all these technologies I use can sort of identify disease before they start manifesting themselves. In other words, if you look at what happened during COVID, some of these technologies that have temperature sensors in them start showing your temperature going up before you feel sick. So it was an indicator to people, should I go and get a COVID test because my temperature is sort of moving in the positive direction. And if you remember the NBA dome, they had given all the players in the NBA dome, a technology called the aura ring, which is a a ring that you put on your finger, which has a temperature sensor in it. And that was one way that they were able to figure out which players were starting to come down with COVID before they had a full blown, they were full blown sick. So, these technologies are allowing us to see things happening. Diseases come up before they come up. Now, I mean, even the Apple watch has a, um, a way of determining micro movements. So if you had sort of early onset of Parkinson's disease, you know, would the, would the right app be able to detect that before you notice it as a full blown problem? Interesting. You, you, you know, the, you mentioned the aura ring and I say the only thing that sleeps closer to my wife is her aura ring. Like she is wed to this thing. Um, and you mentioned sleep, how important it, because she tracks it now, how much REM sleep did I get? How much deep sleep did I get? Because, you know, so much of the research now I think is showing that that's when we heal. Um, how important is sleep in terms of us being healthy? Huge, huge. So, I mean, you know, if you don't sleep well, you're not giving your body and your, your cells a time to, they, they got to clean up, right? Somebody's got to go in there and like sweep up the trash and make sure everything is working right. And sleep is when we do that. We consolidate memories. We do all sorts of things when we sleep. Um, and so if you're not sleeping well, okay, what do we do when we want to torture somebody? We deprive them of sleep. Right. So if you're depriving yourself of sleep, you're torturing yourself. Right. Nobody's doing it to you. So what I've noticed is when I really get one of those beautiful nights or a few nights of sleep because I've sort of optimized conditions, I'm in a better mood. I'm sharper. I'm, you know, happier. Everything sort of works better. And then when I've been pulling a bunch of all nighters or, or, you know, going out with my friends too much or whatever, I'm uh, I'm not, I mean, I got great memories, but boy, am I unhappy <laughs> physically. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's it sort of informed, you know, choices that, that these technologies give you, you sort of see when things are good and you sort of see when things are bad and you sort of know 
what made something good or bad. And then you have choices. Yeah. And uh, that's the critical part, right? Making the right choices when you have those opportunities. And, and that's so important. So thank, thank you, Harry. Um, thank you for coming on. Great information. Look forward to reading the book. So people can go let them know where our audience can go to find more about you and find more about the book. So about me, you can just uh, my website, which is www and my last name, G-L-O-R-I-K-I-A-N dot com. And then uh, the book, uh, it's on Amazon. If you type in the future you uh, plus my last name, it should pop be the first thing that pops up. Fantastic. Great title. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Have a great one. Bye-bye. The future you. And as Dave would say, the future starts today. Today, tomorrow starts today. Uh, We are about to bring on John Schultz, who's going to tell us about his podcast and the myth of overnight success. Hi, John. Can you hear me, John? We lost John. So John's going to tell us about Mike. I'm, I'm going to figure out. He sounds like he's having tech issues. I'm going to give him a call, right? Yeah, no worries. Uh, John, uh, when we get him back on, is going to tell us about the myth of overnight success. And, you know, if you follow Dave, you know, he talks about the idea that overnight success happens in about 17 years. And, and you've probably seen those memes all over the internet where you have like the tip of the iceberg, which is success, like the just crests above the top of the water and underneath is the blood and the sweat and the tears and the strive and how are we going to pay the bills and how are we going to get here and then right when you get to the top there it's when everybody's like yay Um, but that's not how it happens and anybody who's been there uh, recognizes that Uh, success is a uh, you know as John's going to tell us a tightrope and I remember a story that I heard long ago when I decided like I really want to do this I want to carve my own path in life And I was talking to someone and the idea came up that it really is a tightrope. So I I want to talk to John specifically about this. And, you know, walking it is is treacherous, right? You can fall. And so the person I was talking to said, how committed are you? And I said, I'm I'm pretty committed. And they were like, well, that's not enough. You have to be really committed. You have to be all in because there's a John I'm talking about. Good morning. Good morning. I'm talking about the the myth of overnight success. And I was talking about your success as a tightrope. And I'm telling the story about how when I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I wanted to carve my own path in life. I was talking to someone and and they said to me, you know, how committed are you? And I said, well, I'm pretty committed. And they said, well, that's not enough. You have to be very committed. You have to be all in because the person who walks a tightrope with no safety net, They walk it just a little more carefully than the person who has the safety net. And and so that always stuck in my mind. Like you you have to walk that tightrope as if you have no safety net. So good morning. And I'd love to hear more about the the podcast and the myth of overnight success and the tightrope. Well, I, I, first of all, thanks so much for having me. This is, this is so much fun. Uh, I love that we can do this today and stream out all of our thoughts and, you know, helpful tips for whoever's listening but yeah, I mean, I, I did this podcast first and foremost. I love learning about people because what I feel in life is relationships have helped me get to where I have to go. And the more I surround myself and I listen to other people's stories, it's sort of how I guide myself to what I need to do each day. I may get a little idea, a little tip. Something might inspire me by being around people. But the other reason why I love this is Everyone that I interview, you know, has a story and their most important story is what went wrong, right? Like the things that didn't go well is what shaped them to be the success they are today. I almost feel like failure should be a positive word in life and not a negative word, right? And I also feel by listening to these stories and and they're terrific and we go all the way back to when they were younger and how they sort of went through their journey is that most of us are projecting our own stuff on what we think is happening or what we're reading about or what we see on TV or, oh my God, that CEO, how'd they get there? And instead of just understanding that taking steps each day to get to where you want to go and not knowing that the sort of world's for you, not against you, and anything that's coming at you is a reason to either pivot one way or the other. 
these really successful people prove that in the podcast. So it's tremendous. That's amazing. <clears throat> you know, it's, yeah, it's like they, they say, you know, we see the world as we are, not as it is, you know, unless we work on that to, to get there. And so you're so right. We did, you know, we have a, a, a television show on Bloomberg called Office Hours with David Meltzer. Yeah. And, and, and we interviewed season one. I remember, you know, the come out, we interviewed 72 of the world's greatest entrepreneurs, executive celebrities. And that was the common theme. I walked away like I went into it not knowing what to expect. And, and, it, and it, when I left, it reminded me of when I went to law school. I went in, you know, I wasn't the guy who, who probably belonged going into law school. I, I wasn't destined for college, much less law school. So in my mind, I was the underdog. I was, I was outwitted. I was everything. Um, and there were so many things against me. But it was like that, like one of our earlier guests said that disdain for failure. I didn't want to be like I didn't want all of those things that were against me to define who I would be in a negative way. I used all of that to, to get me to where I wanted to be. And when we did the TV show, that was a common, whether it was, you know, John Hennessy, who is a CEO of Alphabet talking about buying uh, YouTube for a billion dollars and, and Cameron Diaz with her wine and why they did that. And all, Tom Bilyeu and, and Rob Deerdeck, like all of these great people that did amazing things. That was the, that was the momentum. That was a driving force. And so, I think for those people, it worked, right? And But for others, it might not. It's that thing that, that like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. Sometimes that punch in the face, like it, people can't get to that place of success like others were talking about. How do you make that, that leap? How do you get from here to here? I'll tell you, if you started believing, because now I'm old enough to know, right? I mean, life is your experiences, but it's also how you respond to them, right? I mean- it may be cliche, but it's the truth. Your mindset will get you through them. But if I look back at all the great things that happened to me, it usually started out that something bad happened that I thought was bad that ended up being good. I've had enough of those things happen to me right now that it always ended up working out better than it was going to work out where I thought I had something great. And if you start believing that that is the case, then anything that sort of comes in your way is just a moment to say, okay, this doesn't feel good. I know I got to get through it. I wish it wasn't happening. This may slow me down, right, in the, in the journey of life. But what am I supposed to do and learn from this moment to do the next thing so that something great will happen? And I call it like sort of happenstance. Like just allow yourself to, if you're stressed out, you can't think clearly, right? The moment you calm down, you can sort of see through what's going on and then look for the little nuggets that can push you forward. That's the only thing that matters, right? Because it, it's yeah. nothing will really ever happen on our time, how we think, the way we want. We're mostly wrong. But if you have passion and then an obsession to get it to the next level, you will always figure out a way. I have, right? Never how I thought, never when I thought, and never when I wanted it to happen. But it always seems to happen and better. Yeah. So, so I, so much of what you're saying, I think, uh, harkens to awareness. So you have this awareness, right? Like, holy cow, this is happening. This sucks. I wonder why this is happening right now so that something better could happen later. How, how did you develop that awareness? Because that's, that is the key. I think the pivotal moment. By having enough experience and time and, and also saying to myself, like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. It's like, you know, there comes a certain point in time as you get older that you, you, you want to also enjoy what you're doing. And if you place too much emphasis and need something too much, it's like resistance. Like it, it doesn't make us feel as good. But it took an, a bunch of experiences where it didn't work to show me that it could be better. And because I'm now 30 years in business, I call myself a 30 year overnight success. I was going to call my show that, but I wanted to have a, a variety of age groups on my show, right? I didn't want to have to find that exact 30-year yeah. person. I, I've, I've learned a lesson. So, like, if I can impart that uh, and just, you know, know that things don't happen qu quickly that are really sustainable and have longevity. You might have some quick hits, but to actually have real longevity, it takes time, takes relationships, and it takes a really good mindset. Yeah. 
So, so utilizing all of that you've created and been a, a part of, obviously, Onyx Equities for, yes. for a while now. Tell, tell us about Onyx Equities. So Onyx Equities is an owner-operator of real estate in the tri-state area. We do four states, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut. We own industrial buildings, shopping centers, office buildings, large corporate campuses. I guess we're placemakers. Uh, so we're, we're value-added real estate uh, organization, which means we go into something that was something and try to make it into something else, right? Something that is trending, whether, you know, today it's like, how do we work? Everyone wants to figure out how to work differently today. So we're redoing all these, you know, amazing buildings and putting in all the different amenities that are necessary for people to feel that they actually want to come back to the office. You know, e-commerce has exploded, right? So now all these different real-time next-day delivery service buildings so that you can get, you know, what you want in 24 hours have to be positioned in the proper area so that like the Amazons of the world, the Walmarts of the world, all of them can deliver and do what they do on that, you know, 24 hour notice, uh, as well as residential, you know, people are living differently, right? Like uh, what COVID did is say, you know what, I may be in my home more than I would be normally, right? Normally I get out every day, I go to the office, I'm out of my house. Now people are even looking at how and where they live differently uh, than before. So it's a very exciting time in real estate. I love change. I like to embrace change. To me, that's the excitement of being in business. Yeah. So in real estate, it's usually, you know, a slower slog as far as how uh, we create things. But we've been able to be real co-creators with the changes and all the cool things going on with, you know, technology and everything that's sort of, you know, changing the landscape of how people use real estate. Yeah. Uh, well, Absolutely agree. I'm here in the tri-state area for the next month or so. So I'd love oh. to connect more New Jersey, New York City and totally surrounding area. And I know that we have to go in a second, but I just want to, I know among everything else that you talked about and what you do, you're a serial blogger. I think, you know, some of our, our audience has heard about blogging. Some know what it is, some don't. What is blogging? What is, you know, being a serial blogger and how does that help you and your business? I, I love sharing what I've learned. I love, you know, not just keeping it to myself. Uh, I, I think also when you're when you're passionate about something, it's so much fun talking about it, sharing about it. And then also, like, you know, you you don't you want to have other people's perspectives to create what your forward thinking will be. So the more I share, the more I learn about what I'm learning. And, and it actually makes me, a, I think, a better learner, right? Because I'm getting other perspectives and I'm not living in my own box. So to me, blogging and having a podcast is, is enabling me to uh, meet new people, learn from new people, which, you know, it just makes me happy. I enjoy it. It's fun. And if I could help one person uh, with something that I do, then I feel I'm giving back to uh to the world in a, in a very cool way. So if I could scale that with a blog or a podcast, that's what I'm trying to do. It's fantastic. So John, just so uh, the audience knows where to find you, they could find you at John J O N Schultz. They'll put that down in the, uh, in the yeah, chat there and on right? Anywhere else? Yeah. Instagram at street Schultz, uh, LinkedIn. It's John, Jonathan Schultz. Uh, and, you know, that's where you can find me. And I, I, I'm you know, very happy. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on this show. I, I watch it. It's great. You learn new things every day. I mean, you guys yeah. are unbelievable with how you put out amazing content. So it's exciting to be part of it. Thank, thank you so much. And like I said, I look forward to, to trying to connect in person while I'm here. So uh, be in Please touch do, with that. Though. I would really would love that. That would yeah. be great. All Take right. Care. Thanks so much, John. Take care. Thank you. Take care. And there we have it, uh, wrapping up another edition or uh, presentation of Office Hours. We'll be back next week with David Meltzer, um, wherever he might be on the planet, as he continues to empower over a billion people to be happy. So I'll do a quick takeaway of the day. And, you know, just thinking about what each of the guests were talking about, for me, it's the power of people. And... You know, I think back to what I learned in school, going through elementary, uh, middle school, high school, college, law school, all of the great things academically that I learned um, have benefited me in certain ways. 
But the way they've really benefited me is through utilizing them with the relationships of other people. So when you look at people that are doing great things, it's the ability for them to interact with others, the power of people, relationships, looking at someone and say, how can we do something together that makes sense and wins? So focus on others, focus on the people around you. We'll be here for you. Thanks for joining us. Take care and we'll see you soon.